0: You take your Bibles, go to Psalm 136. Again, I'm honored to be here. Um, Your your church is just a blessing and a joy to be around. When a man's a preacher, he obviously has this challenge: what am I going to preach about? And you have this challenge: you go to a passage of Scripture and you say, what am I going to? What's? How how am I going to explain this passage? And the first step for a preacher, after you've picked the passage of scripture, you got to read it, meditate on it, think about it. Sometimes you read it over and over again until you figure out what the key theme to that passage of scripture is. You got to have the key theme if you're going to preach it. So, just as a little exercise, I'd like us to—I'm going to read Psalm 136, and you see if you can help me figure out what the key theme is. <clears throat> Give thanks unto the Lord. For he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. O oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. For his mercy endureth forever. O oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders. For his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens. For his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters. For his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights. For his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day. For his mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night. For his mercy endureth forever. Tim that smote Egypt in their firstborn. For his mercy endureth forever. And brought out Israel from among them. For his mercy endureth forever. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm. For his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which smote great kings, for his mercy endureth forever, and slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever. And Og the king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever. And gave their land for an heritage, for his mercy endureth forever. Even a heritage unto Israel his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. Who remembereth us in our lowest state, for his mercy endureth forever. Hath redeemed us from our enemies, for his mercy endureth forever. Who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. You think we can figure out the overriding theme for that chapter? It's not as easy with every chapter in the Bible, I will tell you. But it seems to me that God wants us to know this. His mercy endures forever. It's illustrated. He talks about the importance of thanksgiving. It's illustrated with the mercy seen in creation. It's illustrated throughout Israel's history. It's illustrated throughout the personal attention that God gives us. But I'd like us to take a few minutes tonight and talk about the mercy of God and some things that we can have that's a blessing for us first of all the truth of the mercy of God the grace of God is that God gives us that which we don't deserve the mercy of God is simply this truth God doesn't give us what we do deserve he withholds from us the judgment that ought to be ours I am saved today for one reason and one reason only mercy of God isn't that incredible? Something amazing to think about. I told you this morning about uh, getting saved as a bus kid and all that. Uh, when I was 15, I was not saved in a Baptist church. I was saved in a denominational church. Don't ask me how this happened. But the pastor preached good doctrine. He did not preach the doctrine of that denomination. And he preached salvation, clear, and several things. But the doctrinal statement of that church said that works was part of salvation. That's not what he preached. I'd i been saved five years. i have been a bus kid for five years. They would pick me up on a bus uh, every Sunday. Other folks would pick me up on Sunday night, pick me up on Thursday night, pick me up for youth activities. But by, by the grace of God, I had quite an experience going to that church. And the truth was being preached. And I was growing in the Lord and blessed of the Lord. And uh, I, I, I had opportunity... To, uh, a few months ago to go to that building. The building has been owned by several different church groups over the years. But now, just recently, for the first time, it's owned by independent Baptists. So I went, asked if I could see the place where I got saved and, uh, the church secretary and a pastor let me in and I went downstairs. I was saved in a Sunday school room and, uh, they showed me the gospel and went down there. It's no longer a Sunday school room. It's the furnace room now. In the exact spot where I got saved, there's a water heater now. And I told them, they should have a sign on that water heater that says on May 12th, 1963, Phil Stringer was saved in this spot. They said, you get the sign, we'll put it on the water heater. And so today, in their furnace room, hanging on the water heater. Is a sign that says on this spot in eighteen eighteen yeah, that, that's it worse. This spot in 1963, May 12th, 1963, Phil Stringer trusted Christ as his Savior. And I went up and I was telling you how I, I you sat right there. I went and sat right there and thought about what the mercy of God had meant to me when I found out what Jesus Christ did for me to cross Calvary. When I was 15, the bishop of the denomination found out what the pastor was preaching. He sent him a letter firing him. You can do that in the denomination. You don't call your own pastor. Headquarters does that. And so the bishop had every legal right to fire him. He sent him a letter and fired him because he was preaching that works was not a part of salvation. I stunned Number one, didn't know what a denomination was. I didn't know the difference between a Baptist and Catholic and Nazarene. I was stunned that someone could fire our pastor. I was stunned that there were people who did not understand that salvation was based on the mercy of God and thought it was somehow based on our performance. So that Sunday night, every Sunday night, they had the teenage boys take up the offering. That Sunday night, I was one of the four boys taking up the offering. That Sunday night, they made a mistake. They called on me to pray. You know, I prayed typical offering prayer, Lord, bless the offering, Lord, bless the gift, Lord, bless the giver. And then I started thanking God for salvation by faith and eternal security and just everything I could ever possibly think of that had to do, that my 15-year-old mind understood had to do with salvation. That Wednesday night, one of the deacons came to see me out to my house to explain to me the truth about salvation and that men could not be saved apart from works and their own holiness. So he's explaining all this to me. And while he's explaining it to me, he's sitting there and there's a pack of cigarettes in his front pocket. And I'm not the enemy of people that smoke. I used to tell when I pastored, I used to tell our folks that smoke that I love them. I said, I love them. I'll serve you. I'll take care of you. I'll bless you. I'll visit you in the hospital. I'll preach your funeral. And I'll probably visit you in the hospital even more than I do the other people and preach your funeral sooner. But still love you. But, but I looked at him, as he's explaining how, how holiness is part of salvation. I looked at him and I said, I get it now. People that smoke don't go to heaven. No, 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 no. So he quickly explained to me smoking is not really a sin. I've noticed that folks that believe that works is a part of salvation have a very short list of what they really think is sin. But he was in more trouble than he knew. He had two teenage daughters that were my age. Teenagers, mom and dad, y'all rejoice in this. Teenagers love to talk about their parents' faults. And I knew that he kept his Playboy magazines in the third drawer of his dresser in his bedroom. So I said, I get it now. I said, people that keep their Playboy magazines in the third drawer of the dresser in their bedroom don't go to heaven when they die. He beat a hasty retreat from my house. And I never, ever saw him again in my entire life. And I talked to the pastor. And the pastor said, you want to find what I've been teaching you? He said, you find an independent Baptist church. There was an independent Baptist church that had a bus picking up kids on our block. I didn't know how this was supposed to work. I just went out on Sunday morning and flagged the bus down. And they got another rider they hadn't worked for. And to be completely honest, that next Saturday, the youth department, three pretty teenage girls came out to visit me and invite me back. That was the incident when I became a Baptist, right then, right there. <laughs> True story. Years later, I studied it, but I'm, yeah, I did right then. I said, okay, I'm a Baptist. I started going to a Baptist church where I would hear the message of salvation over and, over and over and over and over and over again. I would eventually become a preacher where I would preach it over and over and over again. But you know the old song says, those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. The older I get... The more sermons I've preached on this, the more sermons I've heard on this, the more precious the whole thing sounds every time I hear it. The truth of this, that Jesus Christ died for me. I am not saved because of anything Phil Stringer accomplished. I am not saved because of anything Phil Stringer avoided. I am saved because of the mercy of God. And what a thrill that message is. Second thing I want you to know about the mercy of God. mercy of God is why we have eternal security. Are you ready? I'm saved as long as the mercy of God holds out. Anyone know how long the mercy of God lasts? The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. You ought to be able to find that in the Bible somewhere. It's lots of places, but we just read an entire chapter where God chose to repeat it for us in every chapter. And I'm saved as long as the mercy of God lasts. My heart breaks out to folks. I believe there's some people who are, are really saved, but they allow themselves to be confused about this. And they have to live every day. They lay their head down in their pillow at night, wondering whether they're on their way to heaven or not. Wondering whether or not they can be secure. Wondering whether or not they can know that they're saved. Well, that's frightening. I hate to be like that. Would you go with me to Romans chapter 4 for a minute? You you want to get a hold of the mercy of God? You look with me in Romans chapter 4. Where the God of heaven, to explain salvation to us, tells us the story of two different men. What should we say then? That Abraham, our father, has... Pertaining to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. But, by the way, the statement that salvation is based on belief is 160 times, at least, in the Bible. I've counted 160 times. I was pastoring in a small town. Somebody took out a page ad in the local paper and put it in there and said, Don't let anybody make you think that salvation is without works. That salvation is just based on believing. So... I rented a full-page ad, did not make a comment. I put a 160 verses in that ad, without comment, every one of which said, just like this, that salvation was based on believing. So I've been known to ask people over and over again, how many of those 160 verses are true? Yeah, you've got all of them. You understand? I'm saved as long as the mercy of God endures. Here is Abraham, and Abraham was saved not because he was righteous, but because God counted him as righteous. Abraham did some stupid things in his life. He did one really stupid thing twice. And it didn't work the first time he did it. Isn't that amazing? And guess what? It didn't work the second time he did it either. And he came under the judgment of God both times. But the issue was not his salvation. I've watched this over the years. I've been a full-time mystery for 44 years. I I tell everybody, I want you to understand, I started when I was three. That's the only way that, that I've been able to spend 44 years at this. But I've watched young people in good churches like this. And there'll be young people who grow up surrounded by all the good things and by all the right things. Sometimes they get to go to Christian school. They have a good mom and dad. They have a good church. But they get to a certain place. They feel like they just want to have an adventure and live out in the world. And so they do. And it never works out right. They end up with scars and problems and difficulties. And there's a generation of young people right behind them. And they see them and they see what happens. So then they decide they want to live out in the world for a while. And guess what? When they live out in the world, the same things happen to them that happened to the ones they just watched. And there was a group of young people right behind them. And they watched them and they saw what happened. I mean, God judges sin. He doesn't take our salvation away, thank goodness, but he judges sin sometimes even to the point of taking a person's life. When I first got to the church in Chicago, most of our young people knew, uh, a young man, he wasn't very old, he'd gone through the church and through the school and, and, and gone out, lived rough in the world, he belonged to a gang, I was working at a bouncer, big guy, was working at a bouncer in a strip club in Chicago. Well, he was very worldly and outgoing and charismatic. And he's kind of a hero to some of the kids. He'd come to church every once in a while. Every time he came to church, he'd come forward. he said, Pastor, pray for me. My life is wrecked. My life is a ruin. Pray for me. I said, look, you understand this? You want to get your life right with God? You've got to go in and quit your job. Nobody working at a strip club is right with God. Go ahead and quit your job. He said, I will. Ah, He'd tell me every Sunday he came for He said, I will go quit it tomorrow. But he didn't. He got in a motorcycle accident. Man came that close to getting killed, scarred all over one side of his body. I went to the hospital talked talk to him. He said, i got to get right with God. I said, you sure do. You think God was maybe trying to get your attention? I said, you better get right with him. But by the way, if you're going to get right with him, you're going to have to quit that job. He said he would, but he didn't. One day, one of the deacons called me. and said, Pastor, have you seen the Morning Chicago Tribune? I said, no, I don't get the paper. He said, you better see today's paper. I said, what's up? He said, you just better see it. So I went out and got a copy of the paper. Front page headline. One of the South Side Gang's warlords had come home and found his girlfriend in bed with Somebody. And he got his whole gang together and they pulled him out of that bed, pulled him out into the street and kicked him and just kicked him and kicked him and kicked him for a couple hours till they kicked him literally to death. And it was that young man. I mean, there's a price tag when you live in rebellion. <laughs> I had a funeral. He was belonged to a gang and the gang he belonged to came to the funeral and the gang that killed him came to the funeral. It's a real interesting setting for a while. They thought there was going to be a big fight between them. and, And our church folks were concerned. And I got up and said, guys, let me tell you how this works. I said, this is a Baptist church. I understand most of you, maybe none of you have ever been to a Baptist church. But this is a Baptist church. And a Baptist church, the pastor decides how we do the services. So you guys don't have anything to say about what happens today. I decide what happens today. Somebody asked me after, what were you going to do if they didn't listen? I said, I did not have the faintest idea. My stomach was churning inside. (laughs) I preached the gospel. Years later, the head of the gang that that killed the young man from our church died. And some of the folks said, you know, we ought to have a funeral. They said, but who would we get for a funeral? And one of them said, you remember the guy that chewed us out when we were sitting in his church? So they called me, and I preached the funeral for that gang leader. It's an interesting experience. Another sermon for another time, but it's all interesting. But I'm just telling you, Abraham was justified before God for one reason. Abraham believed God, and he was counted unto him for righteousness. Salvation is never about you. Salvation is about what Christ did. Remember 4? That him that worketh, verse 4, is a reward not of grace... Not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. You know why I'm still saved? I told you I got saved when I was 10. You want to know why I'm still saved when I'm 64? Because the mercy of God endureth forever. By, By the way, it'll endure tomorrow. If I do stupid things tomorrow, I'll live with the results of having done stupid things. But I'll still be saved because the mercy of God will still endure. And if you can't get Abraham, let's get David. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man and to whom the Lord imputeth righteousness. Are you ready? Without works. When God is considering whether or not we stay his children and stay saved, he is not considering our works, our good ones or our bad ones. I'm saved because of the mercy of God. Amen. A lot of Christian folk don't have that and they live in misery because they don't have that. But it's but a simple understanding. The Lord uses the picture of the family for this. I have a pretty good son. I, I really have had very little trouble with him over the years. But you know, on occasion, we had interesting moments. I never considered the idea that he would not be my son anymore. And we you know why? Being a son is not a temporary relationship. It's a permanent relationship. And when I'm happy with him, which is most of the time, he's my son. You know what he is when I'm not happy with him? He's my son. You know what? It's a Bible truth that when we got saved, we got adopted by the God of heaven. And you know how long adoption is good for? Forever. You know how long His mercy is good for? Forever. You read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it tells us that His mercies are new every morning. Don't you... A rejoice, it doesn't say His mercies are new some mornings. Tomorrow morning, His mercies will be new. And the next morning, His mercies will be new. And the morning after that, His mercies will be new. And that lasts as long as, well, His mercy endureth forever. Boy, it's not hard to get the theme of this chapter. His mercy endureth forever. Not only that, His mercy is the issue in our service. God gives us the privilege of serving Him. I never forget we had a Christian school and I was in Chicago, and we had a lady in uh, very limited means financially, very much wanted her daughter in Christian school, and and I wanted folks who wanted to be in Christian school to be there, and so I went to her and said, "We'll, we'll make a deal with you. You do the cleaning of the church, and we'll give your daughter free tuition." And uh, she said yes, and she started cleaning the church every week. After a few weeks, a lady came in that was a friend of hers. Wasn't in our church, but she a friend of hers. She said she knew what was going on. She said, I don't want her to have to work like that. I'll pay her daughter's tuition. So I went and told her. I said, deal's off. Your daughter's tuition is just paid. She paid it for several years up front. I came in the next day, and the lady was cleaning the church. I, did I not make myself clear? You don't have to do this anymore. She said, I never had to do this. I get to do this. She said, I, I'm not ready to teach Sunday school or anything. But she said, I get to do something for the Lord. Boy, what a feeling it is when all of a sudden you realize out of all the things going on between heaven and earth that God himself uses you. It's amazing to see what God does and to have this sense, I fit in the plan of God. I realize you can mess up in a plan of God and get yourself in trouble and not be used of God anymore. But the truth is, there was never a moment that I deserved to be used of God. And yet, I am. I have lots of memories of moments of being able to give the gospel to people and folks to find Christ as their Savior. I have lots of memories of being able to help people and encourage them and know that God is working even when I don't know that He was working. A young couple came into church I pastored there in Chicago. They came in one Sunday morning and a young man said, there's no reason for you to remember me. But said, you preached in Bible College Chapel where I went to Bible College 10 years ago. You preached on never giving up. And he said, I had just... Given up, decided I could not go on in the ministry anymore, and, and, and I remembered that sermon. And I asked God to help me, and He said I'd actually driven away from my point of ministry. I'm on my way driving back because that sermon worked in my life the last couple of days from ten years ago. He just gets stunned. One time in my three times in, in when I was a young preacher, I almost quit. There was a time when I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit so bad I couldn't stand it. The pressure seemed like too much. I'd go to bed every night praying, "The Lord, would You let me out of this? I don't want to be a preacher anymore. Take Your hand off of me. Let me go." I'd get up every morning, knowing they hadn't done it. Made up my mind. I was preaching a revival meeting. I said, when this revival meeting is done, I am finished. It was Sunday through Friday. I said, I'm going to preach, but Friday night, it will be the last sermon I ever preach. I will be done in the ministry. Sunday, I said, this is the last Sunday I'm ever preaching. I said it to myself. Didn't tell anybody else. Monday night, I said, four more days, three more days, two more days. Friday night, I preached. I put everything I could in the sermon. When the service was over, I said, I am finished. I am out of the ministry. Two teenage girls walked in. They lived in a different town. They had intended to come to the service, and they got lost on the way and missed the whole thing. Bless their hearts if you knew them. I would not have sent them from one town to another, driving on their own. They came in, said, Brother Stringer, we have to leave right away. We have a curfew. We have to be home a certain time. So we got to take off. But the Lord burdened our hearts to come here tonight to tell you what your preaching means to us. And they walked out and got in their car and left. I said, really? And they walked in, said that, and walked out. I said, you really sent them here? To tell me that? I mean, God knew I needed something that night. Something that wasn't ordinary. Something that wasn't the normal run of the mill. And when I needed it, He gave it to me. All these years later, here I am. I went home that night and I said, okay, I'm going to try for one more week. I've been going for one more week ever since. Not just Abraham, by the way. Even as David also describeth, verse 6, the blessedness of the man to whom the Lord imputeth righteousness without works. Saying, Can you imagine David writing this? You remember how David failed his adultery and then his adultery led to murder? I mean, let's just, he messed up. You don't know anybody that ever messed up any worse than he did. And yet after that, God used him to write, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How do you think David felt when God was inspiring those words through him? Because David was a man whose iniquities were forgiven and whose sins were covered. And even though he did not deserve to go to heaven, which by the way, none of us do, he did not deserve to ever be used of God again. But he was. Because the mercy of God, it endures forever. Can Can I tell you something else about the mercy of God? The mercy of God is the cure for pride and arrogance. We get so blessed by God and used by God and encouraged by God. Sometimes we forget where it all comes from. We begin to act like, man, look what I did. Look at the song I sang. Look at the way I played the instruments. Look how I just got elected to be a deacon. Look, look how I'm dressed compared to folks. I, I, I've been around some folks, and when I pastored in Chicago, we'd have people come into our church, stumble into our church. You wouldn't believe, couldn't believe how bad they were dressed, and they didn't even know. I mean, it's amazing. Chicago was an interesting place. And we're not careful. There's this temptation to look at me. I mean, these folks aren't like me. Look at me. Look what I've accomplished. Look how good I've done. Look. And can I tell you? We independent Baptists have a reputation for this. And you want to know why we have a reputation for it? Frankly, sometimes it's not fair. But you you want to know why we have a reputation for it? Because a lot of times it is fair. I was preaching in Canada, Windsor, and um, somebody came to me and said, "You know, we have a guy on the radio here, and he's an American, and he loves talk show. Has a talk show host, and he loves to tear up preachers. I mean, he just lives to tear up preachers." I said, "Would you be willing to go on with him?" I say, "Not a big deal. I've been insulted before. I, I can do this." So I go. I meet the guy. And turns out he's not only from the same city I'm from, Indianapolis. He lived in the same neighborhood. We went to the same elementary school. He was one year ahead of me. We had all the same teachers in elementary school. So we're sitting talking. Just, you remember that teacher? Remember this? You remember when there was the fire in the plague? I mean, just sharing memories. And so I got on the radio with him. And he's just being as nice to me as it's humanly possible to be. He's throwing me nothing but easy questions. Nobody's calling in. There's no excitement. There's no fire. I saw him. There's a break. Two hours. I saw him in a break. The station manager calls him in. And I knew what he was saying. Being nice is not why people listen to talk radio. People listen to talk radio to hear conflict. And so he's saying, quit being nice to this guy. And so when we came back out for the second hour, he did. Here is his question. It took the whole hour. The question was, do you believe that when the Jews that Hitler killed in the Holocaust died, they went to hell where God treated them worse than Hitler ever had? That's a fun question to answer. Again, to explain Christ's salvation. Anybody puts their faith and trust in Christ, nobody has to go to hell. But if you die without Christ as your Savior, you do go to hell. And I mean, the phones erupted. People called in, called me a Nazi, said I had complimented Hitler, and I couldn't figure out where they got that, but all kind of things. And one guy called in, he said, you're the person that deserves to go to hell. I said, sir, you have no idea how right you are. It's absolutely true that I deserve to go to hell. You said it exactly right. But I said, here's the rest of the story. I'm not going Not because I don't deserve to, but because the mercy of God that provides salvation for anybody that will trust Christ has provided salvation for me. Not only does he provide salvation, he takes us and uses us. And there's no thrill like this. Seeing somebody you led to Christ a few years later. If you watch what God has done in their life and how God has worked and what is accomplished. There's no thrill like this, knowing that you made a difference in somebody's life. There's no thrill like knowing you're the person that brought somebody to church where they heard the gospel and they got saved. The mercy of God, he uses me. The mercy of God, when I remember it, will cure me of arrogance. I don't always remember it. But every time I do remember it, every time I'm sitting in in a church service hearing a song like the special we heard tonight, Justified, or singing songs like songs we said sang tonight and I get reminded what it is that Jesus did for me. Man, that'll humble you. All these years later, you can still bring me to tears by reminding me what happened when Jesus provided salvation for me. It will change you. I could go on and on and on talking about the things that happens and doesn't happen to us because of the truth of the mercy of God. But what a glorious truth. The mercy of God endureth forever. And I get to experience that mercy forever. See moments where God does things that I cannot even comprehend how that he would do. I was preaching when I was in Cambodia. I was telling you about it this morning. And uh, there's a group of churches in Cambodia on the Cambodian-Vietnamese border that was started by American missionaries in the 1960s. When the communists took over Cambodia in 1970, the American missionaries had to leave, and the ones that did not leave got killed in the purge. So these folks didn't have any missionaries anymore. And their pastors led them all up in the mountains, because Pol Pot would have killed all of them. He was after every Christian. So he led them up in the mountains where they could hide in the mountains. And for there was a ten-year civil war. While the Cambodian people finally overthrew Pol Pot, and it was obvious that he wasn't in power anymore, the Baptist churches came back down from the mountains. and they had no missionaries, no help. They have not had contact with the United States or missionaries or mission boards ever since. I was the first American to go back and have a chance to preach to them. is amazing. When I say it was in the jungle, I mean it was in the jungle. The jungle came right up to the buildings. There was no electricity. There were no bathrooms, just lots of bushes. <laughs> they had men on snake patrol during every service. I mean, there were three men out there looking for snakes because there were a lot of poisonous snakes out there. And so the men on snake patrol were making sure the snakes did not come into the church. I liked them. <laughs> I tried to convince the president of our college to give them all honorary doctorates. They just made me feel better about the whole thing. 34, we were actually on the Vietnamese side of the border, 34 churches represented in that pastor's fellowship. Am I really standing here with these people? I'll give you another one. I told you I went to Syria. I was in Syria. Pastors from 13 churches. We were meeting in somebody's living room. Someone was interpreting for me. They were talking in Arabic. And these men all assumed that they would be killed one day for the preaching of the gospel. They're just debating strategy about the way to reach the most people before they would be killed. I mean, they weren't joking. A few weeks later, one of them was preaching to the church in his living room and during the middle of a sermon, somebody fired into the front window and shot and killed him in the middle of a message. One of the others was was killed by ISIS. Many of them are missing right now. I hope they're alive and hiding somewhere, but we can only find three of those 13 men. Do, we, do I know, able to know, and do they know where, where they're at? We're hoping there's more than that alive, but we don't know. Two of them are still serving the Lord in Syria. One of them's in Romania. And the other ten, we just don't know. But I, I sat there in the living room, and they're arguing about the best way to die for the Lord. And they have some debate about the methods. And then finally, one of them turned to the interpreter and said, Ask Brother Stringer what he thinks. And my answer was, I don't know an American preacher anywhere that has any business giving any of you men any advice. The fact that I'm sitting in your presence is incredible. And the mercy of God that He uses us. It's it's real simple, just like this morning. If you never trusted Christ as your Savior, you ought to trust Him tonight. Don't trust your baptism, don't trust your religion, don't trust your denomination, don't trust your good works. Don't. You ought to trust Christ. Nobody ever gets saved focusing on themselves. You get saved when you're focused on what Christ did for you. If you're here as a child of God, and you know, I mean, you know you're not going to be deserving to be saved when you get up in the morning, but you also know something else. You will be saved when you get up in the morning. Our heart should be so filled with gratitude that it motivates us deeply to serve and honor our Savior when we realize what it is He has done for us. And what a message we can take to the world. The mercy of God provides salvation for them. And you know how long that mercy endures? Aren't you glad it's not a temporary benefit that might help me today, but might desert me tomorrow? His mercy endureth forever. We should be rejoicing in the mercy of God and we should be sharing the message of the mercy of God to a lost and dying world that doesn't think God wants them, that thinks we look down upon them, that doesn't think it matters, that doesn't think there's an answer, that doesn't think there's a cure. We should be sharing with them. Man, have we got good news for them. When Christ Died on the cross. He died for them. God bless y'all. Pastor.